Before we get started with this week's edition of Benched with Bubba, a couple things to talk to you about. First being the Quantedge.com. They've been putting out great NFL DFS content thanks to the lineup optimizer, their injury tool, their head-to-head tool, and so much more. They have just awesome, awesome stuff there. They have a betting tool. They have MMA covers. They have NBA covers. They're doing it all at thequantedge.com. And right now with promo code BENCHED, you can get the rest of the NFL season, including the playoffs, for $29.99. They lower the price to $39.99, but with promo code BENCHED, B-E-N-C-H-E-D, you get $10 off. You get all the tools, all the chats, all the articles, everything you need at thequantedge.com for $29.99 for the rest of the NFL season. If you don't want the NFL season, but you want like a monthly package, it'll get you the MMA, the NBA, the NFL all together. You can get 20% off by using promo code BENCHED, B-E-N-C-H-E-D. So go with the month, get the rest of the NFL, whatever you prefer, but use promo code BENCHED. Now, Draft.com is a phenomenal way to play fantasy sports. Many of you have probably tried it. Snake-style drafts, just the way we like it. Tons and tons of fun. They've introduced auction drafts. They have best ball for the NFL. It's just crushing it. They already said they're going to have playoff best ball. They have NBA best ball that just came out. They're going to have MLB best ball. They have the regular season NBA, NHL, PGA, MLB, NFL, everything you need. It is a phenomenal way to play fantasy sports. So go check them out, Draft.com, Draft in your app store. And if you're new to the game, Use promo code SD Sports at checkout, and you'll get entry into a free $3 tournament of your choice. That's SD, D as in dog, sports, and you get free $3 tournament of your choice. Now, to this week's edition of Benched with Bubba, with special guest Brian Rudd of Baseball HQ. It is an absolute blast, so go give us a rating review on iTunes or wherever you listen to the show, but go check it out. It is awesome. Benched with Bubba, episode 132. everybody to another episode of benched with bubba episode 132 the hot stove is sizzling right now so we're going to talk some fantasy baseball to get it rocking and rolling give the implications of all these moves do a little draft strategy talk throughout the podcast and then hit some early nfbc adps that stand out uh looking at them last night only like 15 drafts were completed so it's very very preliminary data there but in order to break it all down got a member of baseball hq you can find him on Twitter at Rudd, R-U-D-D-H-Q. Brian Rudd. Brian, how are we doing, man? Pretty good. Thanks for having me on. No problem, man. Thanks for joining me. I'm glad we could uh, make this work. Uh, we're all busy and got stuff going on, so I'm glad we could figure this out and get it in because I enjoy what you do on, on the Twitter sphere and on uh, Baseball HQ, so always like having you guys on the show. Yeah, same to you. Oh. All right, let's get at it. The, uh, there's really no particular order on these deals. I just kind of made the outline as it floated in my head. And the first deal might be the biggest deal so far of the offseason. Paul Goldschmidt, we know the D-backs wanted to move him and get some prospects because they weren't paying for him to come back. They ship him off to St. Louis for Luke Weaver, Carson Kelly, and Andy Young. 
First, let's start with the St. Louis side of things. Paul Goldschmidt is going to be there for a year. Maybe they sign him. Maybe they don't. That's not what we're here for. We're here for the fantasy impact of 2019. How do you like Goldie moving to St. Louis? I don't think it changes too much. I mean, he was, as you know, he had a brutal start to last year um, on the surface. And, you know, he wasn't hitting the ball hard at all. And there's a little bit of a concern. And then the last three quarters of the season, he was as good as ever. So, Steals declined from like 32 in 2016 to 18 the next year to seven this year. I don't see that going up a whole lot. The Cardinals were 24th in the majors in stolen base attempts last year. A little more aggressive after the manager changed. They were 20th in the second half, but I don't see him adding more than a few steals, maybe 10 or 11, but uh, I don't know. I'd say more of the same for Goldschmidt. He's going about the right spot. I think – Freddie Freeman is going pick or two later. I might prefer Freeman, but it's close. I think he's pretty fair value and can expect solid across-the-board production once again. I'm glad you brought that up there when you're talking about Goldschmidt at first base because, yeah, currently he's the top guy going in FBC, but you mentioned Freeman's going right after him. And then it's a real drop-off. After Freeman, he's going around pick 23-24, then drops down to Rizzo at 40. So, you know, in years past, we always have a slew of first basemen that go really early and. In years past, also Goldie's been considered a top five pick, top seven pick at times. Now he drops down to twenty two. Um, just we'll, we'll kind of inter, let's kind of intertwine NFPC and draft strategy throughout this hot stove part here. When you're looking at you know the power spots that used to be just the corner infields throughout all the baseball now for the most part, but you used to want to get one of the big boppers at first. Do you feel a need to get one of the Freemans or Goldies, or do you not mind waiting until, heck, you can get Votto at seven or Brayu at eight, stuff like that, farther back? Uh, yeah, I don't try to – I mean, first base is pretty shallow position, but compared to years past, you know, this year and last year, it's a little more shallow than usual. But I don't feel the need to grab one of the top two or three necessarily. I think, you know, something will fall, and there's been – Plenty available on waivers throughout the year, too, if you end up missing out. But, I mean, I think those guys are real good values. I wouldn't be opposed to getting them there, but I also wouldn't reach for them just to make sure I have one of the top two or three. And I, I guess what also it shows you with Goldie and Freeman being all the way down to 22 or 23 is that's how deep the player pool is now. Like in years past, you know, the first two rounds where you had to get the big boys, and then you started already kind of navigating now it's almost like if you wanted to be lazy, which I know you're not and a lot of people aren't that listen to this, you could almost just go best available player for the first three, almost four rounds, and you're going to be loaded already. Like you don't even have to really think much about it if you don't want to, yeah. um, which is crazy. But on the flip side of Goldie coming to St. Louis, it moves Matt Carpenter to third base. And, you know, Carp's played there before. He got moved to first because of many reasons. One, possibly throwing issues, shoulder issues. He's coming off a phenomenal season, as we know with Carpenter. He started off really, really slow, kind of like Goldie, and then just tore the cover off the baseball. Are you concerned with Carpenter going to third base full-time, though? I don't think so. I mean, I think uh, – I don't foresee it being a problem for him. I mean, he's played there plenty before, and I think he'll be just fine making the move back there. Okay. Um, on the flip side, also, of Goldie going to the D-backs, coming to Arizona – it was kind of controversial. If you watch Twitter at all when this trade happened, Arizona Diamondback fans were not very happy. Not happy at all. Um, Luke Weaver, 
Carson Kelly, they have control over him for the next five or six years. That's what that's what rebuilding teams are looking for when they send their big guys. Give me young, controllable players in return. Uh, Luke Weaver obviously has had hiccups. Uh, Jason Collette is documented third time through the lineup. Not good at all. Um, Eno Saris talks about how Luke Weaver still has a really good changeup, so maybe there's hope. Carson Kelly once was a a nice catching prospect. You know, not getting full-time playing time behind Yadier doesn't help, so he needed to go. He's expendable. Do you see any – desire to look into these guys this year or is this kind of a wait and see approach on these two because they aren't coming in as the shiniest new toys right now yeah um i don't really have interest in kelly this year personally you know maybe long term the bat develops more but right now i mean i don't really think he's on my radar for even 15 team mixers for this year um weaver i mean i still think there's hope i liked him quite a bit heading into last year. And I was, I mean, I thought the price was a little insane. I didn't get him anywhere when he was going, you know, six round or so in 15 team leagues, but uh, I did like him and wasn't expecting the disaster of year that he had. So I think he'll, I still think there's hope and that he could be a decent bounce back candidate for this year. That's kind of what I'm thinking is like, you know, you're not going to have to pay a hefty price for him. It's, you know, at that point in the draft and you're taking pictures, you're taking darts anyways. Most of them, I'd say half of them, you're probably dropping at some point in the season. They're, they're not going to pan out. It's just the, the way of the world or you're going to start streaming guys or whatever. Weaver, to me, feels like a possible streamer type pitcher. This is the kind of guy you're going to use. Maybe the humidor is has a major effect on it. Maybe it really helps. Um, I was talking with someone else last night is, you know, we're seeing the opener be used more and more in baseball. The new Toronto manager who's who came from Tampa Bay is already saying he's going to bring it there. I'm not saying Lavello is going to do it in, in Arizona, but Weaver maybe is that guy. You know, you get you get him in, in the second or third once the, the heart of the order has gone through. So he doesn't have to face the heart of the order three times. Maybe there's something to that. Um, the stuff is there, basically. Like you said, like others have said, I, I'm intrigued. If the value's right, I, I'm going to think about it. Because last year at this time uh, – Brian, we were talking about a guy that people were so high on. The helium was cr- crazy high. He was going around the same time as Luis Castillo, who was flying up the rankings. Obviously, mm-hmm. did not turn out so well. So, big time bounce back possibility this year. Yeah, change of scenery could uh, could help him quite a bit. It'd be nice if you know, the swing and miss stuff wasn't didn't uh, match up with the strikeouts in 2017. It'd be nice if he could add a effective another effective pitch, but. Yeah, I definitely think he can bounce back and should do better this year. And, and, there's, and there's always certain things like that kind of go under the radar and not really, I guess, noticed as much. But I know they're trying to trade Zach Greinke, but say they don't trade Zach Greinke. That's a good guy that can teach Luke Weaver how to pitch. Um, yeah, so that's one of those things. Like if he is there or even if it's just for part of the season, if Weaver is receptive to that, that can go a long ways in helping this kid out. So – a lot to see. Let's go to Washington. The Nationals make a big splash. Six years, $140 million. Contract aside, could be good. Usually isn't when it's that long at this point in time. But um, they're getting Patrick Corbin, one of the top lefties in baseball. Had a phenomenal career year. Best time to have a career year when you're going to be a free agent. But um, what's your thoughts on Corbin going to the Nats? He's going to spend a year with Scherzer and Strasburg, which is always nice. But just overall, he's going to be there in the NL East, who is just signing everybody right now. So what's your thoughts on Corbin? I, I like him quite a bit. I think I have him about 
13th on my starting pitcher list right now. He's going 15th in NFBC. So I'm pretty high on him. think his ADP of 50 is a good place to get him. I know the defensive metrics for Washington weren't too favorable last year, but, you know, those can be a little iffy. You never know. And there were six in turning balls into play into outs in the majors. So D might not be as bad as the metrics indicate. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I think he should be – can be an anchor to a staff and should provide hefty strikeout totals again. And I was, you know, had him in – all three of my NFBC leagues last year and got pretty worried when the velo plummeted, but like that it, you know, didn't bounce all the way back, but it got back up quite a bit and he was still getting the K's. That slider is ridiculous. So yeah, I love him again, heading into this year. Yeah, that was, I remember when that velo was dropping last year, it was like everybody all hands on deck. What are we doing with this man? It's going to be bad. Like his, his elbow is going to fall off. Something's happening. The end of the world is happening with Patrick Corbin. Um, so yeah. we know he's already had the, the arm issue once, uh, took, a, took a little chunk out of his career. He's bounced back. And like you mentioned, that slider, and that, that's where everyone gets concerned. And obviously many have done research. We've seen it everywhere. Um, actually, Emo Saris had an article a couple weeks ago on Patrick Corbin, which I mm-hmm. recommend people go and read. It was absolutely outstanding on the effect of a good slider or a not good slider on the elbow and the fact of how he throws it and how other people throw it. So it's not like basically not all sliders are created equally. Mm-hmm. And, that I thought was a very good piece on showing that Corbin should be okay. And another thing I thought is, you know, he, he is getting older. People still think he's pretty young, and he is. He's not like 35 or anything. But he maybe he's learned how to pitch. You know, when the velo drops, he still survived because he's learned how to pitch. There's a lot to be said about that. Going to pitch with Scherzer and Strasburg, he's number three. He's not even having to be the guy. Goes a long ways, especially and you know you can debate the fact till the end of the world if wins are a necessary stat for fantasy baseball, but that's going to help him out a lot if you really think about it. So I, I think it's intriguing, like you say, he's going 16th in the NFBC. He's going right ahead of James Paxton. Do you, do you like Corbin over Paxton? Uh, slightly, yeah. If I mean, I would have moved Corbin down a couple spots if he had ended up in Yankee Stadium, but I like the setup for him in Washington and. I think I know there's injury risks with both, but I trust Corbin's workload a little more. Maybe I'm wrong, but no, so Cor- I, I have him a little ahead of Paxton. What about you? Yeah, Corbin has shown he's the durable one. I love James Paxton. If Paxton could ever guarantee me 180 plus innings, I I'd have him very very high. I not 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 ahead of you know the Nolas and the Klubers and Verlanders of the world, but he'd be approaching the top ten for me. I think Paxton's mm-hmm. that good. Um, but you have to like you can't. They always say you can't predict injuries. Well, after a while, you can factor it in. Like you can you can yeah. you can put that in the back of your head. Like he's gonna miss a start or two. He's he's gonna get you 160 ish innings. Can he get you those extra like three starts to get you 180? That's big. Three starts of of James Paxton. That's heck. That could be 30 strikeouts with him. Like that's right. huge. That's tremendous. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to factor that where you got a guy like. Pack, uh, Corbin, who win healthy, we've seen go 180 easy. We saw 200. And uh, I know Matt Modica has tweeted it out many different times in different formats. 180 innings and more is very, very, very low this time, this generation. So uh, I, that's the difference between those two. Like, I like how they're going right next to each other because they are kind of very similar. There's just mm-hmm. like that one kind of fighting line to me. Um. Going ahead of him is you had likes of Carlos Carrasco, Noah Syndergaard, Walker Bueller. Do you like those three staying ahead of Corbin, or would you take Corbin over any of those guys? 
Um, I do. I do have those guys. Let's see. You said Carrasco, Bueller, and Syndergaard. Syndergaard. Yeah, I do have those guys ahead of Corbin. Okay, cool. So, so you're, bit, you're, yeah. you're pretty much in line with what's going on. I like that. Yeah, uh, I got Corbin, Flaherty, Paxson at 13, 14, 15. So. Okay, I have a question for you. You mentioned Flaherty right there. He's going 19th here. You said you have him 15th. Um, I was giving Justin Mason joking with Justin because that's always fun to joke with Justin. Um, he took him as his first starter off the board in a Rotowire mock draft yesterday in the sixth round back end. Or it was a 15 team. It was a six-round pick. He took Jack Flaherty as his number one. Um, a, do you feel comfortable if Jack Flaherty is your number one? Yes, I would. Um, okay, that leads me to my next question. Why? Uh, I, I like Jack Flaherty. I think he's great. I think he's really, really good. What makes him a number one to you? Like, what's the jump you're going to see? You're seeing from what he did last year to this year? Uh, I mean, the stuff is legit. I mean, he gets so many swings and misses. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I just think he's a top 15 starter, and I don't feel the need to, you know, I'm a little more comfortable waiting on pitching. Mm hmm. So it's kind of factored into that strategy. That's why I'd be comfortable with him as a one. I don't feel the need to grab one in the first two or three rounds necessarily. I mean, if one's there that I like, I'll do it, but I don't want to panic. And I think, you know, Flaherty has top – could be a top ten guy. And Yeah. No, I, don't I don't hate it at all. Rounds. I mean, he has – control gets away from him occasionally, but I don't see much downside and. I think he's going to pile up a ton of strikeouts and have a great year. Yeah, and I, I don't hate it at all. Like he's he's a very very good pitcher. I love him. If he can give me 180 plus, kind of like the Paxton idea, he's going to be really really good. There's no no hiding that. And and it's a good point. You know, after after Flaherty goes in, in FBC, it's Jamison Tyon. Yes, I'll take Flaherty over Tyon. There's Bumgarner, Granky, Clevenger, Carlos Martinez. Like the drop off starts to happen pretty quick after Flaherty. So, yeah. After my 20th starter, it's like a big, you know, 21 through low 30s is just, it could go in any order really. And I, it's, uh, so I think, I think that's a good argument, like for the argument where you like Jack Flaherty or Justin liked him or others like him. I think that's a good argument. He's kind of like that Mason Dixon line, like you need to get him or someone above him or whatever before this drop off where you might be in a little dicey situation with your starting pitching. Mm hmm. So yeah. I, like I might even go a little farther down to like Tyon Clevenger and maybe Marquez, depending on where you like him. And then it gets pretty muddled for me, but. Okay. I like that. Cause yeah, it's, it's in the pitching landscape. Is, it just keeps changing so much with all these different pitching strategies with guys not going long anymore. It's just like, okay, well let's, let's talk a little strategy right here. When you're looking at your pitching, I know you've been doing your, your rankings here lately to get ready for your NFBC drafts. Um, do you do you look at strikeout guys? Like, what's the factors that you're looking for to help you with your rankings? That I mean, strikeouts is definitely a big, big factor. You know, I like the strikeouts, the low walks, the ground balls, all that stuff, and durability is. You know, I. I there's guys that don't get a ton of strikeouts like Michaelis that, you know, I'm definitely intrigued by, but um, more often than not, 
the the strikeouts are something that would definitely factor in into it and lean lean towards those guys. And you said, you know, you don't have to take a pitcher early. What's your kind of strategy when drafting pitchers in a draft? Uh, I mean, I just don't want to reach for for guys that, you know, I don't want – just because the pitcher's the next, next pitcher on my board, I'm not going to take him over a hitter I value more. I feel like I've had more success – finding the mid-round and late-round pitchers in the past, like every year, than I do on the hitters. I've whiffed more than I should on the hitters. So, you know, I think now with, uh, you know, the top 10 starters or so are just – there's so much value in those guys, so I'm definitely not opposed. You know, if I picked in a 15-team league one or two and then – yeah, you know, I could come back and grab. I'm probably going to get at least one starter come back around, maybe even two. But depending on where I am in the draft, if I'm late in the draft, I'm you know I'm probably not getting one in the first and second, and maybe not in the third and fourth. Okay. I don't know if that makes sense. But. No, it, it does. You, you're basically value drafting. That, that, yeah. So no, which, which, which makes a ton of sense. You're not reaching. Yeah, so I'll just see where the draft falls. I mean, say I was picking a 3-4 turn, I might take a Corbin there as my number one, but also if a hitter slips, and I might just take two hitters. I might take Rendon over him. Okay. If Marte was there, I'd take him. You know, I'm just not going to reach for just because the pitcher is the next guy on my board. I'll take best player and address my needs later on. Okay. Yeah, I like it because I know we talked about it in DMs and it's been a topic of conversation um, throughout the last month or so is with the, with the drop-off, like we were just talking about kind of after Flaherty or after a top 20 or so, um, do, how many do you want? Like, you know, Saris comes out and says, I want three. Uh, a lot of guys are good with two. It's, it, and then in that theory, if, you, if you're trying to get two or three, are you going to reach? Kind of like that whole idea there. So if you had to just off the top of your head, and again, like you've said, and I agree completely, you play the draft as the draft goes. You don't really – stick to a one one option thing but if, if you had to have your choice out of your top 20 how many would you like to leave a draft with i'd like to have two okay yeah but yeah that'd See, be I, ideal i mean I, three would be good but i think i'd leave myself in a pretty exactly. big hole hitting wise so i probably wouldn't go that route. yeah my I'm about I'm about to start doing a lot of mock drafts, I think, because I think two, you can do three, like you just said. I think it could leave you pretty vulnerable at spots if you if you reach too much. Yeah, I agree. All right, back to the hot stove. Josh Donaldson had a very rough 2018 season with injuries and whatnot. Signs with the Atlanta Braves, apparently a team he's a hometown, he loved, or not hometown, but he's been a fan of his whole life. Go play third base for the Braves, and he's going pretty late or later than normal for Josh Donaldson's standards. About pick one fourteen. What's your thoughts on Josh Donaldson this year in Atlanta? I I love him at pick one fourteen. I'm afraid that you know if he's healthy in March, he could be going three rounds earlier pretty easily if he's showing positive signs. But right now, I mean, when he is a disastrous year, but. And it's a small sample, 60 plate appearances. But when he came back, you know, every all his numbers, batted ball, data, and everything were P 
peak Josh Donaldson in the last month. And I would prefer him be in the AL, let's say, after the throwing issues last year and the ongoing calf concerns. But uh, I don't know. Pick 114 is uh, seems like a hell of a value and worth the risk. Yeah, exactly. This is the old Jonas Donaldson who used to be a top two-round pick if he was healthy. Um, you get him in 114. And there's a lot of these guys that are dropping. Like Justin Turner's going six picks ahead of him. Like that seems pretty crazy. Yes, injury risks seem to follow Justin Turner, but when he's healthy, he's one of the best pure third baseman hitters in baseball. Yeah, uh, Josh, Josh, Josh Donaldson in Atlanta where the ball could fly. Obviously, it flies better to right than left, but still it's going to fly in Atlanta. It's, it's going to be a tremendous move. I like this a lot. Uh, just overall, the third base positions rather deep. Like I just mentioned Turner going six picks before. You know, if you believe Rafael Devers bounces back, he's 146. But guys like Mike Moustakis, if you just want the, the power, he's going 153. Eduardo Escobar's at 170. It's deep. And you even got Matt Chapman at 102. I, I love Matt Chapman. But um, there, there's a lot to like here. So Donaldson at 114, you're a fan of you said. I like it. I like yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's look at the Boston Red Sox. They went and signed their World Series hero, uh, Nate Eovaldi, to a four-year deal. Could be considered steep to many, but uh, he did earn it. He's done very, very well. In reality, I was shocked at how young he actually was because he's battled injuries forever. Uh, he's going about pick 174 in FBCs. What's your thoughts on Nate Eovaldi going into 2019? I like him. I mean, I think that's pretty – Fair value, about where he should be going. Uh, had a nice year last year. I got a little – I dropped him where I had him after his kind of rough start after his trade to Boston. He only struck out like 21 batters in 34 innings, 14% of the batters in his first seven starts there. So I was a little concerned. And then, of course, he had a great September and October. So uh, I can see his price shooting up a little bit now that – you know, he had success in Boston, and people, but I think where he's going now is a pretty fair price. I like him. I'm not gonna, you know, go overboard trying to get him. It's pretty interesting. Some of the guys he's going around here, uh, right in front of him, John Lester, right behind him, Dallas Keuchel, Rich Hill. Yes, they all have questions to them, but very interesting. A couple of picks before him, Alex Reyes, Shane Bieber. Everybody loves Bieber coming into this year. Um, any of those names stand out to you that you take Evaldi over or uh, after? Uh, I would take him over Lester. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, those. I mean, Lester. Everything's trending in the wrong direction for him. I'm. I'll be totally out on him. And uh, if, oh, go ahead. No, sorry. What's your thoughts on Shane Bieber? Um, rough shots. I'm all in on Shane Bieber. I, uh, yes, I'm a big fan. I think he showed a lot of positive signs last year. Took a, worked a huge workload too. So you know, some of those young starters are going to be capped at. You know, going in, they're not going to get you more than 140, 150 innings. But that's not the case with him. After he threw, I think it was like 192 last year or something. And at the end of the year, he was. Struck out, uh, I think, 25% of batters in his last 11 outings, 10 of those starts, and uh, 3.11 XFIP during that time. He's he's on the best team in a weak division. And, I mean, I think there's 
Oh, and he never walks anybody. His whip is going to be excellent. He's, I think he's a great value where he's going. Yeah, this uh, we, we we just got done talking about like the top twenty pitchers, that kind of idea. And he dropped down here when I when I got to Eovaldi. It's it's really interesting. You're going to make or break some teams here because you know, do you want to gamble on you, Darvish? That's risky. But you got guys like Nick Pavetta, who's on everyone's tongue right now, going about pick 157. You got Rick Porcello, 163. Just mentioned Shane Bieber at 170. We said Reyes, Lester, Ivaldi, Keiko Hill, all going like a pick apart. Um, then a little further down, you got guys like Tyler Glass now, who some people are up on, Sean Newcomb. Uh, this is a very interesting range right here. Of, uh, a lot of a lot of stuff to like and a lot of stuff to be like, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on Bieber now? I know a couple weeks ago you said you were going to dig in on him a little more. Did you? Come I, I up need to. Last weekend I did all my positional rankings. I need to. My goal this weekend is to do my pitching rankings. Yeah. And my biggest thing with Bieber, and I haven't been able to find an answer to it. And I listen to you know Sport and all these other pitching gurus talk about Bieber. They love him, but no one can answer my question: Is how do you explain? the difference between the minors and the majors on how he had so much pitch to contact in the minors and all of a sudden he's striking guys out with the same pitch repertoire. I haven't been able to figure that one out. I'm, I'm afraid if it reverts back to more pitch to contact, then in the major that results in a lot more home runs usually. So that's where yeah. I get scared. That's where I get scared. And because he was amazing. He was really, really good. I don't, don't disagree with anything anybody said about him. He's really, really good. And at that pick 170, he can return tremendous value in that rotation. I'm just mm-hmm. can't wrap my head around that pitch to contact just yet. Yeah. I don't expect him to keep up that 25% uh, strikeout percentage that he had towards the end of the year. But yeah, it's a good question. I know that he could uh, lose some of those whiffs, but I still, I'm a big fan heading into this year. Well, heck, if he goes from 25 to say 20, 20 to 22%, that pick 170, that is still just fine. Like, yeah, just sure. fine. So, I think the more I talk to you about it, I talk to other guys about it, I can see myself by draft season being like, okay, I'm on Shane Bieber's team. Like I, I can see this I can see this happening. And usually how usually how it works. But uh, we'll we'll come back and talk about him at a later date and time. Let's talk Robinson Torinos to the Houston Astros. Catchers is never a sexy topic to talk about, but yet we have to. Torinos does show a lot of power, some average issues with Texas, goes to Houston. He's going extremely late if you want to punt catcher. Not a bad catcher to punt, but overall, how do you think he plays out there in Houston? Um, yeah, he's going pretty late, 20th catcher off the board right now. And I ran a couple end-of-season values from last year, and he ranked anywhere from 7th to 13th in the 15-team um, league. So, I mean, I know he hits for a low average. I think it was 222 last year in Houston – um, is a bit of a drag on batting average according to park factors compared to Texas. Steamer hasn't projected to bat just 201. In the baseball forecaster, we have him at 231. He's a career 233 hitter. So 231 think, makes more sense to me. Yeah, I would think 220, 230 hitter. So uh, in 20th catcher off the board, 316 ADP. I mean, I think he's very good value as long as you have a Decent batting average foundation. Stassi's backing him up and is a much better defensive catcher, so there's some risk if Stassi can learn to hit again. But he was 
you know, awful for what the last four months of the season. So I would think Chirinos has a pretty clear leg up right now on playing time. Yeah, I think he's got a good leg up on playing time. He's got so much power. It's, it's it, he, literally pick three sixteen. If you can find twenty plus homer potential, that's pretty darn good. Um, mm-hmm. Like like you said with his average, most catchers were not drafting for average. Like <laughs> you just kind of know that getting into it. It's weird because my comparison to Trinos in years past, maybe it's wrong. Maybe it's kind of drifted apart. At one point, it was closer. But you got a guy like Mike Zanino. He's going to pick two forty five. Mike Sneal's a bad batting average guy. He shows power. He might get more playing time, but to me, they're more similar than they should be. And you're getting yeah. them very far apart. Like the, the Mike Zanino is such a, a polarizing name, it seems like in fantasy. You either yeah. love Mike Zanino or you hate Mike Zanino. <laughs> there's, there's just two names. Yeah. But, but when I'm looking at, at the board here, it's like, you know, nine catchers later, uh, heck, 60 picks apart or whatever. I think I can wait on Torino's personally. Yeah, I think so too. I think I've given up on my 35 home run hopes for Zunino, and I think they're more similar than I realized too. So yeah. you're right on there. The one I do like, and I'm always have a soft spot for him, and steroids or not, uh, is Beef Wellington, Wellington Castillo. Uh, he's going pick 290 in that ballpark on a full season. I think I think that's a value right there. If you if you wait on catcher and you can snipe Wellington Castillo at some point in time, I kind of like that play. Yes, yeah, I agree with that. And another guy I think we're going to talk about in a few minutes is uh, right above him. Heck of a value too. But yep. All right, we'll go to the Minnesota Twins real quick. Uh, they picked up CJ Cron. I think that's a sneaky good move. I still understand Tampa Bay's logic there. Obviously, I stopped questioning Tampa Bay because <laughs> they they make things happen. I I, yeah. I end up becoming a fan every year of what they do because just it's so off the wall from the standard I standard way to play baseball and I love it. it, it it's so creative and genius and Kevin Cash is, is brilliant. But uh, first off, CJ Crone going to Minnesota. Any any thoughts on that at all? Uh, I mean, I think he's he reached reached thirty homers last year for the first time. I think what he did last year is repeatable. I wouldn't project him for. 30 homers and there's, you know, some risk. He falls back into a platoon role, but he's in a little better park for right-handed homers now. And, you know, I would expect him to hit 250 with mid-20 homers and with a chance to get back to 30. So I think he's a nice target where he's going in drafts right now. I think he's a really solid corner infield type guy. Getting about pick 310 right now early on. Um I'm a big CJ Crone fan. I liked him when he was in, in Anaheim. He just never got the playing time. And I, it's a thing. If anybody's listening to any of my shows, I, I I get very angry when people say a young kid can't hit because they don't let him hit. It's like yeah. if, if you let him play every three or four days, he's never going to hit. That's just plain and simple. So CJ Crone finally let, like the reins were taken off of him in Tampa, and we saw what he could do. He is a power machine. Not going to hit for a high average. 250 is outstanding for Crone, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you get him in 310, it's similar to what we just talked about with Chirinos. You're getting 20, 25-plus homer power. Heck, that's what quick math is. What, 20th round, 21st round? That's yeah. pretty darn solid right there. So um, I, I do like Crone there. I'm glad you mentioned it because many people still to this day think Minnesota's a bad hitter's part. Or, and in reality, it's actually pretty darn good in the summertime, um, especially because yeah. you had the right-handed power. So – I like that quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, the other guy we're talking about here is a right-handed power guy who had a just disappointing 18 after a really good 17. 
Uh, they got a steal, I think, in this deal of one year, like $7.5 million for Jonathan Scope. This could be sneaky nice, or it could just fall flat on their face, but it didn't cost them a lot. What's your thoughts on Scope going to Minnesota? Yeah, he had a weird year last year, that early oblique injury, and then just an awful first half, and then looked like he was back on track when he hit 369 homers in July, and then just uh, crapped the bed again the last two months. But, uh, I mean, he's not going to hit 293 again like he did in 2017, but I don't think he's going to hit 233 again, split the difference, and He's going almost 10 rounds later than he did this time last year. So, I mean, there's he's shown last year it could be just a wasted pick, but I think there's a lot of bounce-back potential, and he, he's a solid target where he's going. What's uh, what, 205 ADP right now, 18th second baseman off the board? I, I like that value right there. Worth a, plenty of profit potential, I think. I, I think it's definitely worth profit potential. It's another guy, like you said, that – where he was going last year to this year. It's like almost, I almost need to just make a list and I don't write a ton of articles, but it makes me want to write something about all these guys that if you, if you want to gamble, the pedigree is there. It's not like you're not gambling on guys. That, does he make the next step? No, it's just, does he revert back to who he was? There's a big yeah. difference there. When you, when you, cause you know, like two, two second basements later, 20 picks later, Nick Senzel's going off the board who we've never seen play a professional game in the major <laughs> leagues ever. Yeah. And like the kid, the kid looks great. I know it, and I hope he stays healthy. I'm not rooting against his health by any means. We've never seen him play. We don't know what he's going to do. Um, that one's interesting to me. Uh, the one that's right behind him is still 17 picks, but I want to get your opinion on him because I really liked what he did when he was up last year. Then he got hurt and really didn't really bounce back. He's a defensive liability, but Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is on my radar in a big way, and I want to know if I'm foolish for having him on my radar because. I think the, the the batted ball skills are pretty solid with this guy. Yeah, I agree. That was, yeah, that was really impressive what he did last year with that, uh, you know, that ridiculous multi-hit game streak he had going. I I like him going into this year too. I think he can contribute in several different areas and provide a solid average. And yeah, I I think he's a solid target too. And see, it's so weird where scopes go. Where Scope's going, you got Gurriel right behind him. Right in front of him, you have Joey Wendell, who everybody loved last year. But, you know, again, one of those guys that really didn't even have that pedigree in the minors that we saw, so question mark. Uh, I love Cesar Hernandez. You got Jeff McNeil, another minors guy who they've already come out and said might not have an everyday role, but he's going to platoon everywhere. So that'll be interesting to keep an eye on. Right in front of McNeil, this is the last guy I kind of wanted to ask you about here at second base, is Daniel Murphy. Yeah, he's going – about 40 picks before scope. So this isn't really a comparison thing, but Daniel Murphy's another guy that's fallen quite a bit. Go and pick 166, 14 second baseman off the board. Um, doesn't have a home yet, but we're working on that. Unless, unless he's still with the Cubs. I thought he was a free agent, but could be totally wrong. Um, what's your thoughts on Daniel Murphy? Cause that is a massive drop for a guy we used to see go much higher. Yeah, it seems way too low for him. In my opinion, it seems like, in these early drafts, when teams don't have a, when players don't have a team yet, at least from my view, it seems like they drop a little too much, and that he'll go go up once he finds a home. But yeah, right now, if I'm drafting right now, he would be uh, definitely be a target of mine at that price. Yeah, I think uh, in that Rotowire mock, I saw I think Jeff Erickson got him heck around tenth or eleventh round. 
Like he dropped massively in that one. Um, I, I don't like drafting early, but when I'm looking at these ADPs, I almost want to get in a draft. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty interesting. Let's talk about let's talk about another second baseman. The uh, Mariners made a couple trades, as everybody knows. Uh, Robinson Cano, Edwin Diaz to the Mets. Cano, the 11th second baseman off the board, going to pick 141, 20 picks in front of that Daniel Murphy we just talked about here. Uh, Robinson Cano still can hit the baseball. He's like 32 years old, going to New York, and he's going rather late for Robinson Cano standards. What's your thoughts on Cano? He's still crushing the ball. I mean, he's, his fly ball rate dipped under 30% last year. I don't think he'll ever get back to 30 homers again, but he's still making a ton of hard contact, should hit 300. And if he's going in the 10th round, I mean, there's we've mentioned a lot of solid second base targets here late. It makes you, you know, reemphasizes the point that you don't need to reach for your middle infield in the first few rounds because there's a lot of value in the mid rounds. Yep, you can wait on the Altuve's and Wits and Scooters of the world and drop down here because heck, even Rudy Odor is going tenth, one like one eighteen. But yeah, after that, Cano, Dozier, Murphy just mentioned a bunch of other guys. I think it's really interesting. I think Cano is still very, very viable at the position. He's going to be just fine, um, and he's in a lineup that he's going to be the guy like usual. So I think there's a, a lot to like there. Yeah, me too. The other, the other piece of that deal is Edwin Diaz, who let's just you know break the news to everybody that, that believes these things. He's not going to save that many games this year. <laughs> um, just, just get that one through your head real quick. It's not happening. But um, he's the 15th pitcher off the board right now, going out pick 49 in NFBCs, which is interesting to me. But um, what's your thoughts on Edwin Diaz? And overall, what's your what's your plan of attack when it comes to saves in your drafts? Uh, he would be my number one closer on my board, but he would not be going close to where he's going now on my board because that's a little, like you said, he won't be saving that many games, and that is a pretty steep price to pay for a closer. So I won't be – I think he'll have another really nice year, but I won't be having him on any of my teams. As far as saves, I mean, I, yeah, it's tough right now if, with these early drafts, so many unsettled roles. Uh, I mean, I like to come out of there with two pretty solid closers and a third possible one if I can. But uh, so many unsettled roles, that's kind of tough to do right now. With You know, you see some of these – mid-tier guys going the sixth and seventh round in these early drafts. It's pretty pretty insane what the price of these closers are right now. Yeah, they're going they're going uh, much, much earlier. I, I usually wait for saves, but like you said, the unsettled role these days, it's becoming harder and harder to wait because if you start waiting, you get these guys a platoon. They don't do as much. Um, like last year in the TGFBI, I had the second pick, so my fifth pick on the turn there, I took Kenley Jansen. That was the earliest I've ever taken a closer in my life. Mm-hmm. I like I liked it at the time. Fluky injuries happen. I might think about doing it again just because I, like I said, I used to never I, – I, it was almost like kickers in football for me. I'd wait till the end, grab two guys, walk away. You can't do that anymore. You, you um, I almost feel like you have to get one of the big guys, not like the big, big guys, but you need to get one that's got a secure role at some point in time to guarantee a closer. And then you can play around if you want because – 
You know, you see the era now where Josh Hader should be the closer, but he's not. He'll get you, you know, 10 saves, 15 saves, but you don't know when you're going to get him. His peripherals are outstanding, so it's worth it. But uh, Chris Woodward of the Rangers already came out and said uh, LeClerc, who was phenomenal in his role towards the end of the season, he's going to be like a Josh Hader this year. He's going to pitch in the seventh or the eighth or pitch multiple innings, whatever the high leverage spot is. If it is the ninth, it's the ninth. But he says he's not going to name him the closer. I think we're going to see that more and more. Um, so with, with theories like that, do you feel like you need to get one that's locked in or do you still feel as long as I have two or three guys, I can mix and match? Uh, man, uh, they're so expensive in, you know, on the waiver wire. So I'd really like to grab two, you know, I don't, I usually don't end up with one of the top three or four guys, but I like to get two that are, I feel pretty comfortable. I have a stranglehold on the job going in and, uh, at least decent skills too. Cause Uh, I I don't like spending $300 on a speculative save source. You know, that's pretty valuable money. I'm glad glad you just mentioned that because that's like the part no one talks about is how much they're going to cost you if you don't draft them. Yeah. Uh, Like think about the guys. I was one, I spent heavy on Hunter Strickland last year and it worked for a while. Actually, if he wasn't an idiot and broke his hand, he probably (laughs) kept closing games. So that one actually worked out. It usually doesn't work out that way. Um, and then guys have spent that early on a closer. Well, when, you know, uh, Juan Soto came up, you didn't have the money. When different guys came up, you didn't have any cash for this. So it definitely changes the game. So good, very, very good point there with the fab budget and all that. Yeah, You're either wasting a roster spot trying to speculate on somebody a couple weeks in advance, which is pretty costly, or spending two, $300 when a role opens up. So. I don't know. I like to grab at least two in drafts when I can, but I like it. Yeah, I like it. Uh, another deal the Mariners made: they traded shortstop Gene Segura to the Philadelphia Phillies. A couple other pieces involved. Carlos Santana goes back to Seattle. He's already rumored to be getting dealt to other places. Good old Jerry Depoto. Um, but Gene Segura in Philadelphia strikes my attention in a big, big ways. What's your thoughts of Segura playing shortstop for the Phillies? I think he'll do keep doing what he's been doing. He's been very steady, 300 average, uh, you know, barely getting double-digit homers. And I think he got 22 steals two years ago and 20 in 2018. His Seattle was 11th in stolen base attempts last year. Philly was 25th. So I don't see, you know, much hope that he's going to uh, – get a lot more steals this year or anything. But he's also going to a much better park for right-handed homers. So I don't think 15 homers is out of reach. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, and he's going to hit for a very good average once again. So I do like him. I think I might – I don't know. It's close, but similar player, Jose Peraza, going about 20 picks later. There's a little more stolen base upside but maybe not as safe of a batting average floor. I don't know. Those players are pretty comparable, and I'd have a tough time deciding between them. But what about you? I like the Peraza call. I like Segura a lot at pick 83. I think that's tremendous value because I have him over Glaber Torres, who's going 30 picks ahead of him. I'm not sold on Glaber. Glaber hitting ninth for the Yankees doesn't appeal to me either. Um, you have the the unicorn in the room, Adalberto Mondesi, Going at pick 45, who everybody is in love with. And hey, he's fun to watch, but 
you know, you give me Gene Segura 40 picks later, or I'm 100% with you. I even last year was telling people, if you want Adalberto Mondesi, wait and draft Jose Peraza. I'm glad you mentioned that name because, to me, they're the same player. Yeah. And Peraza might even be better. Like, I hate to break it to people, but uh, I think people are so scorned on Jose Peraza because he was not like a high, high prospect, but he was respected when he came up, and he really never panned out. Again, I never thought he got a fair shake. That's how it works. Last year, he got to play consistently, and look what he did. He was actually pretty darn good. Um, yeah. And I think it's going to be even better this year. So I love the Peraza call. I think it's a very, very good call. I have no problem waiting on Jose Peraza at all. So I think I'm going to try to, you know, the shortstop position is weird. It's a little top heavy, and then it's extremely deep. I tweeted out about it last Saturday. It is stupid deep. Like, if you don't want to get one of the top guys, 20 and below, you got Polanco, the Young, Willie Adamas, Marcus Simeon, Taylor, Duriel, Anderson Simmons, Marvin Gonzalez, Cattell Marte, Azdrubal Cabrera, literally all guys you could, someone started last year. Almost all those guys started for someone last year in your fantasy league. So yeah. um, if you don't go up and pay, you can wait at shortstop or get a heck of a middle infielder in that position. But back to the Gene Segura part, I have zero problems with the Jose Peraza comparison. I love it. Love that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking at Simmons. Now you mentioned him. I think he's uh, – you know, I was pretty in on him last year, and, uh, you know, he's going at the 15-16 turn right now, 15-team leagues. That's a great value. I mean, he's the same guy as as Elvis Andrews, and he's going 70 picks later than him. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's crazy looking at it because Anderson Simmons is going to be about a three hundred hitter for you. So if you took the power early, like you talked about earlier, when it came to Trinos, if you had batting average stability, Anderson Simmons will give you batting average stability in the fifteenth or sixteenth round. You don't see that every day. <laughs> you yeah. just don't. And double um, digits, homers, and steals too. Yeah, and yeah, he's going to be hitting, every day. And he's going to be hitting usually in front of a guy named Mike Trout, which usually doesn't yeah. suck. So that that helps. I like that call tremendously. Like I was. Really shocked to see how deep shortstop was because you remember back, you've been playing for a while, you know, years ago, shortstop sucked. <laughs> it was just yeah, like, sure. it was horrible. It was horrible. <laughs> and that, now I can literally see myself having two shortstops on a roster, which I never thought I'd see that day. So, pretty crazy stuff there. I like that quite a bit. But uh, Gene Segura, I think, is value, but I have no problem waiting as we talked about. Yeah. Let's, let, let's switch it up a second since we're talking about the Phillies. Um, Andrew McCutcheon, yesterday, Yesterday dropped three-year, $50 million deal to bring touch to Philadelphia. I think I'm a big fan of this deal. Uh, gives him a ballpark to hit in that he's never hit in before. You know, Yankee Stadium was nice. That's just for a couple months. This is a place he can call home for 81 games a year, which is tremendous, in a very good lineup. What's your thoughts on McCutcheon going to, uh, to Philadelphia? Yeah, I like it too. I've been probably a little more down on him the last couple of years than I should, but, you know, he's he's hitting the ball. Real hard. He's going from, you know, other than the last month, the last season, he's going from about the worst place for right-handed power to, according to our ballpark factors on Baseball HQ, it's the best for right-handed hitters in the baseball for, in all of baseball for homers. So hit nine homers the last two months of the season. His, you know, batted ball data is pretty solid. He's striking out a little more than he used to, so can't count on real high average or, you know, the type of steals he used to get to. But I think he can hit mid-20 homers and a dozen or so steals and be a very productive player. 
Yeah, I think he's got really good value. Uh, pick 174. I think that's a lot to like there with McCutcheon. Um, you know, outfielders always deep or interesting. A lot of gambling goes on later in the outfield drafts. I think he's one of the safer picks at that point in the draft. So I, I definitely like him going to Philadelphia landing spot. I did not see coming, not at all. So it definitely surprised me when I saw that yesterday. And I like it a lot. I think it's a really good fit for McCutcheon. Uh, let's talk. Let's talk Washington Nationals. You kind of hinted at this earlier. Their catching situation got really interesting. It's almost like they took a page out of their division rival Atlanta Braves book by A, bringing Kurt Suzuki in, and then B, bringing Young Gomes in. So they have quite the platoon of two very talented catchers. How do you look at the Young Gomes, Kurt Suzuki acquisitions for the Nationals? I like like what they did. I think the Mets probably should have grabbed one of them instead of – trying to trade Cindergard for <laughs> Real Muto or something. But uh, um, Gomes is the ninth catcher off the board right now. Suzuki's 17th. I think I like Suzuki more than Gomes personally. Uh, his Since the beginning of July 2017, Suzuki's batting 286, 342, 508, and 562 plate appearances. 27 homers and a 123 WRC plus. I mean, the guy is just for the last year and a half, he's been crushing the ball. I'd love to be able to project him for 425 at bats instead of 325, but I think he is a great value at where he's going right now. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Suzuki is a damn good hitter, like really, really good. I think the platoon thing works out perfect for him. Doesn't run him into the ground, keeps him healthy. Let's him do his thing. The Braves are on to something that uh, now the Nats are doing, I think a lot more teams should start doing, is having these kind of platoon situations that will keep your guys fresher into the season. I think there's a lot to like with this. Um, I think Suzuki's a very good play. It's the old thing we talked about last year. If you're drafting catchers in a daily format, draft both of them. Um, mm-hmm. At some point in time, you might have to reach. It might be different. But if it works out, get both. Then you have one outstanding catcher for you. Um I think it's a really good move. I, when they first got Suzuki, I'm sitting there going, okay, I like it. Like you said, he's really, really good. I want to project him for more than 325. But they got to bring someone else in. And then a couple of days later, Yon Gomes, here he comes. I think it's very, very good. I think the Nationals, between this, now they got the pitching staff, go grab another bat maybe. They're still going to be competitive more than people thought losing Bryce Harper. So very, very yeah. interesting with Washington. I like what they're doing this offseason for sure. Yeah, they're still rumored to be involved in it and making at least one more move. So we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. All right. One that really, really got my attention. I was hoping I would see him in my orange and black in the San Francisco Giants. It did not happen. But Billy Hamilton to the Kansas City Royals for $5 million, to me, is pretty darn nice. What's your thoughts on Billy Hamilton maybe getting a new, new shot of life in Kansas City? Yeah, I mean, this is a perfect landing spot for him. He's now on a team that, doesn't have a whole lot of competition in the outfield. I, I mean, I guess Brett Phillips is <laughs> his primary competition in center field, but Phillips, if he's producing, can also play other spots. Uh, he's on a team that runs wild and doesn't care at all about on-base percentage. So his upside is massive here. You know, I'd say sounds like spots 9, 1, and 2 in the order will be some combination of Mondesi, Hamilton, and Merrifield, and got to think Merrifield will be either one or two. So, you know, whether he hits ninth or 
first or second is going to make a pretty big difference. But either way, he's going to be running like crazy, getting a lot of playing time, and his, he's got as much stolen base upside as anybody. So I imagine his 80, 188 ADP is going to rise pretty significantly. So whoever's gotten him already got a huge bargain. But, yeah, yeah. he's in a great spot now for sure. Yeah, I loved him at 188, and I agree he's not going to be there. This can be like years past where people start drafting him earlier and earlier because they want 50-plus stolen bases. I get it, but I can't draft him that early. But roster resource right now has Whit Merrifield leading off, Modesty second, and Hamilton ninth, which I think makes sense. Let Hamilton you know, just get comfortable. Just get back there. You know, the pressure's not on. I think it's great playing for Ned Yost. He loves to bunt, so Hamilton might get some bunt singles. Um, but just the fact that you got those three guys on the on the base paths, I would hate to be a catcher of that series. Like that'd just be a nightmare, absolute nightmare, yeah. because you know they're going to be running wild. Literally, those three guys could combine for over two hundred stolen bases this year, and that's that's you haven't seen that in a long time. So it's going to be fun. He plays a tremendous defense, and that uh, that ballpark thrives on defense. Uh, him, it's been said, him, Alex Gordon, and maybe Brett Phillips in the outfield could push the Red Sox for the best defensive outfield in baseball. So mm-hmm. I think it's a great move for the Royals. They're like sneakily becoming entertaining. Not <laughs> quite not quite to the label, level of the Rays for me, but they're making moves to make it watchable is the best way I could put it because the original roster on paper did not look appealing at all. So uh, mm-hmm. this, this is moves in the right direction, and I, I want to see what Billy can do. I think this is a, a big year for Billy Hamilton. And if we use current ADPs, he's going at 188. Right behind him is Byron Buxton. What is your thoughts on Byron Buxton, the most polarizing twin in a long time? Uh, still don't have a firm opinion for heading into this season, but my thoughts at this point are that he's worth, worth the gamble there. I mean, the upside is still pretty big. And, yeah, I, I think I'd have to be in if he's – if he continues to slip this far, you know, is obviously it? the floor is that she's zero, but that's <laughs> pretty huge. Yeah, that's true. It is a big, big upside guy at that point in the draft. You're starting to take more gambles. It is interesting right after Buxton, you got Polanco, Gregory Polanco, who another guy that's let a lot of people down, Kyle Schwarber. Uh, it's a very interesting little pocket of draft picks right there that uh, you could either take the gamble on and maybe you have tremendous value because the return for those guys could be huge. Yeah. Or, or you just walk away to something more comfortable like Odebel Herrera, Corey Dickerson, Adam Eaton, kind of see how that goes. So <laughs> yeah. very Same interesting. There. Yep, exactly. Do you want to take the gamble or not? Like, for instance, if you're in the main event in FBC, do you want to win the whole thing or you just want to win your league? Mm-hmm. Two differences yeah. there. <laughs> All right, uh, one more here, a couple more here, actually. The Chicago White Sox made an interesting move yesterday. I think it's really good in the movement of their rebuild of how close they are to maybe competing. But they traded for a pitcher that's going to the 201st pitcher off the board, 507th overall. Yvonne Nova is now a Chicago White Sox. Any fantasy appeal for you there? Uh, Not a whole lot, I'd say, but, I mean – He's a decent streaming option when they play Tigers and Royals, which they'll do quite a bit. So, uh, you know, he's not going to get many strikeouts, but should provide okay ratios, keeps the ball down, and we'll get plenty of Detroit and Kansas City. They even 
face Kansas City to kick off the season, so it might be worth the last pick in your draft if you think he's going to be starting that first series. So I don't know. Not a definitely very little upside, but it could be a decent pick there. Definitely streamable. Very good point on the opening series. Take them with one of your last picks, then flip them right afterwards. Stuff like that. Very, very good call there with uh, Nova. Uh, one last move. It's happening as we record. It's the, the news started dropping right beforehand. Uh, we don't have to go super deep on it unless you want to. But it looks like J.A. Happ's going back to the Yankees. That's kind of where I thought he always should go. Uh, the Paxton deal made it a little more, will he go? But uh, I was a big fan of Hap in the Bronx. I thought it worked out really well for him there. Uh, makes that rotation of Severino, Tanaka, Paxton, Hap, Cece. Um, very, very good. Uh, what's your thoughts on Hap back to the Bronx fantasy-wise? Uh, I mean, I like it. He excelled there last year. He's seems to be constantly undervalued. So uh, I'd have to look up where he's going right now. Uh, he's going no. around. I had it right here. He's going around pick uh, 144, 53rd pitcher off the board. All right. Let's see. And 38th starter off the board. Um, Yeah, I think it's fair value. I have him a few spots ahead of that on my personal list and was kind of assuming that is his most likely landing spot. So I think he's a pretty fair value. Should provide solid innings once again. I like it. I'm a big J.A. Happ fan. I was like something with – he gives you that consistency that if you need to go gamble on someone else later that you can you can definitely survive with. He's he's done it in very hitter-friendly ballparks before, so that doesn't worry me. And honestly, I, people get worried about Yankee Stadium, and I get it. But I'd rather have a lefty in Yankee Stadium than a righty personally. So yeah. that's, one thing, that's one thing that always kind of gets my attention. So I have no problem with it at all. I think there's a lot to like there. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. Yep. All right, Brian. We just went through it all. We incorporated our draft strategy, our NFBC, a lot of really good stuff here. Any final thoughts as you've been kind of uh, digging in early on here for your NFBC prep uh, with what's going on fantasy-wise? Not that I can think of. Um, Do you want to talk about any of your guys you think are going way too early or too late or anything? No, we kind of hit on most of them when we – when I started spitballing on some of these other guys, we hit on a lot of them, actually. My main ones were like shortstop, uh, a few in the third base area. just shows some massive differences out there that you don't need to get crazy with for the most part. So, yeah, we hit on most of them already. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't started any drafts yet, but it is about time to do that. I'm, I'm ready. How about you? Yep. Uh, I'm ready to get going. The, the wonderful Baseball HQ forecaster. Dropped in my lap last week. So, uh, yeah, now now it's officially time to get rock and rolling. I know everybody's saying that, but it's true. It is that kind of that moment in time where you realize it's a lot closer than it's uh, you think. Yeah. <laughs> Pitchers and catchers report in February. So we're getting real close. Yeah, for sure. But All right, Brian, appreciate you joining me this week. That was a lot of fun. We'll definitely do it again sometime. Lots of good info there. Uh, everybody go check them out on Twitter at RudHQ, R-U-D-H-Q. And go check out all the guys there at Baseball HQ. A lot of good stuff from those guys. But, uh, yeah, Brian, thanks for joining me, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on anytime. I enjoyed it. Awesome. Everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 132 with Brian Rudd of Baseball HQ, breaking down the MLB hot stove and much, much more. Catch you guys later.